0: All right. Well, it's 1045, so I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started into the notes. Father, thank you so much for this conference. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to come and hear from you in, in different ways and help increase our counseling and discipleship ministries. I pray that you would be honored in this hour. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm Jeremy Kahn. I um, teach. Actually, my main role here is uh, high school Bible teacher. Oops. I've been teaching for 22 years, and Pastor Doran, when uh, he hired Jacob Elward to come on staff, he was looking towards the long term and trying to think through what we could do as a church to advance uh, biblical counseling and that kind of idea. So he had asked myself and Jacob to go to a Southern Seminary and, and get uh, counseling degrees, for which I'm very thankful uh, to, to have gone. Um I had some ideas when I first got into uh, the degree, because you have to choose a project and, and kind of walk down that road. I had some ideas for uh, developing a curriculum for you know counseling high schoolers and things like that, because that's kind of my wheelhouse. And pastor came to me, I guess it was pretty early on in the doctorate. We had had a meeting and discussed what we were going to do project-wise. And he had already talked to Jacob and wanted to develop the training center and kind of the, you know, motivation for that. And then he asked me to do a marriage mentoring program. And I kind of had one of those looks like, what? <laughs> you know, because that's totally, uh, you know, I, I wasn't expecting that for sure. And I had never really read much on it. I had not, uh, you know, been been a part of a marriage mentoring ministry at all. So it was a, a definitely a challenge. So, I know that a couple of things happened with, uh, you know, my my kids went all the way through inner city. Um, I've got three graduates and then my, my Lauren is still a, a student. But I started noticing some trends. My two oldest, so Justin graduated in 2016 and then um, Daniel graduated 2017. In both of their classes, uh, parents that I had known, literally, I mean, when when, when your kids are in school, K through 12, you get to know kids very well and their parents, and in both of their classes, two sets of couples divorced either right before graduation or immediately after graduation. I mean, we're talking sometimes weeks after graduation. And I thought to myself you know, was this marriage basically holding on for one reason, and that is to get the kids through school. And then once they found out that they were actually living for their kids, which is not untypical for parents with uh, kids in school, is you know, everything is about the activities and things like that, they probably just found that there wasn't anything left, and they, they actually divorced after that. You know, the, the statistics, you always have to be careful with these because you can make stats mean what you want them to mean and, and interpret but, you know, most studies, when you look at them, uh, the, the general divorce rate, right around 40% of people who marry, you know, ends in divorce. The scary thing is that evangelicalism isn't much different than that. And you say, well, you know, last, last stat that I heard, it's only 30% of evangelical marriages, you know, well, that's still 30% of marriages that are, that are crumbling and, and obviously having a huge impact in our churches and that's that's a problem and I know that pastor's heart was to definitely what what can we do as a church to be able to help young or struggling marriages uh, be able to deal with issues and how can we do that from a a biblical perspective I have a, a lot of respect for uh, different different uh, you know curriculums that are out there actually the one that was super helpful to me, uh, just getting an idea of marriage mentoring as a as a ministry, as a program in our church, uh, was Les and Leslie Parrott. And if you've ever heard of them, they have a full line of curriculum and different things like that. The thing that I found in reading through many of these is the, the old, you know, here's the point and I need to find a Bible verse that supports the point, you know, the old proof texting type of a thing. And I really didn't find much. Uh, I did find a guy that did a, a min project at Western Seminary, a guy named Curtis. I, I actually document his, uh, his project. Uh, his was definitely much more uh, you know, biblical in his approach and exegetical in that sense. But those are very few and far between. Uh, you, you have more of a very broad, you know, the parrots are definitely looking at evangelicalism from its very broad perspective. Uh, you know, trying to minister to churches, which is a good thing. Saving marriages is a good thing. I just found that uh, at times it wasn't very, th- you know, theologically deep or, or exegetically driven. So what I did, and in the uh, the session this morning, we're just going to look at one of the texts that I tried to develop in the paper. And I did uh, under footnote number one. If you're interested in the project, uh, and I, I do have my full curriculum I had put into the project. If you're interested in taking a look at that. And this morning, I'm going to try to give you kind of the what and why I did what I did uh, to give you a flavor of that. I didn't include the whole curriculum here, but definitely a, a flavor of that. But I do believe that t- uh, Titus 2, 1 through 8, is a foundational text. It has to drive uh, a, a marriage mentoring or discipleship of young or struggling marriages. So let's take a look at the text, and then we'll, we'll walk through that. Paul says to Titus, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject or submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. So Paul's, Paul's purpose in this letter to Titus is to drive toward the congregation in good works. That, that faith really should be evidencing itself in very specific things. Uh, good works, uh, good, good you know, <laughs> levels of fruitful obedience to God and what that actually looks like. So we have a, a section here that obviously is written to groups of people in the congregation. So it's an important to note one commentator said, Paul's primary concern was to indicate that the Christian's faith, but subjectively as experience and objectively as a body of doctrine, must result in a, a life consistently that's demonstrating appropriate behavior. So a life that is, that is actually conducting itself in a correct way. So Titus could accomplish this task by selecting qualified leaders to teach the church how to live correctly as a community of believers, So really, you've got generations here. You've got Paul to Titus, Titus to different elders that he's training. Those elders who are training, obviously, are supposed to be training people in their church at different levels, the older men, the older women, who in turn would be examples to the congregation and also would be teachers to the younger women and then also to the young men. So we see that... Um, and I think it's important to, to understand that a marriage mentoring ministry, if you were to start that, if you were to be inclined to, to do that in your church, uh, is a way to actually honor this. It's not the only way. I don't know if you've ever been to a seminar where somebody you know, somebody's arguing, this really is the only way to do such and such. You know? The only way to disciple is you know my particular program. This is just a way. I think it's a very good way. Uh, to be able to accomplish and to help young marriages and young people in the, in the congregation. And what marriage doesn't need help? Every marriage needs help at some point. And, and all of us know here who are married the seasons of marriage. And at any given point, uh, we need help. We need people to speak truth into our lives and to help us along life's way. So the basic principles of the passage, first to the older men, the older men were to act in spiritual maturity. They're supposed to be the foundation point of the church, that, that people would look at these men as pictures of godliness. And it's supposed to look like something. They're supposed to be temperate, moderate in, con- in conduct. Uh, that would incluse, include their use of wine. Uh, the, obviously, moderation in, in action. Dignified focuses on the moral worth of a man's character, not frivolous or showy. Sensible, uh, They're well-balanced in, in their lifestyle. They're, they're stable. They have a pro- properly regulated mind, a person who is discreet and prudent. Uh, they are the balance, balance wheels of the congregation. They're the ones that, that keep things going in the right direction, steady, the, the course ahead. And then finally, maturity. They, it says there, the final description incorporates primary virtues of Christian life, faith, love, and endurance, that these guys are the examples. They have character qualities to be emulated inside of the, the congregation. Then Paul tells Titus uh, for the older women to teach them to have reverence for their husbands, for uh, the, the general deportment of life is that they would have reverence, a reverent behavior, that they would not be malicious gossips. They don't speak evil against others that they have a conversation that is edifying, that is pleasing to the Lord, that they're not enslaved to wine, they're not slaves to drink, as the RSV would, uh, would, would say. <clears throat> they teach what is good. Paul's words really pictures an older woman, those experienced in life and marriage and child-rearing, taking the younger women in the congregation under their care and helping them to adjust their responsibilities. The, the, the issue here is <clears throat> that these older women are taking an active role, not a passive role, not a, well, you know, I'm just an example. I just kind of live a, a certain way and I raise my kids in a certain way. It's much more activity-oriented because these older women are supposed to take younger, younger women underneath their wing. They're supposed to say, let me, let me show you what to do and, and guide you In this process. And what were they supposed to guide the younger women in? They were supposed to guide them in their love for their husbands and their children. So the tenor of the home should actually reflect a loving environment for both husband and children. You know, the home is supposed to be a haven. The husband should want to come home. The children should want to come home, you know, in that sense and enjoy the the time at home. They're supposed to be sensible and pure. Uh, The younger women are to mimic. Uh, sobriety uh, a sobriety of life in the congregation uh, living a a pure and discreet life they're supposed to be taught that they're supposed to be taught workers at home fulfilling household responsibilities and i'll let each of you mess with that and how you want to present that to your to your congregation should the woman stay at home and, and and all of that my understanding and uh you know there's always time for questions at the end is that the primary responsibility for the woman is to be in the home? That's her main main goal. It's not that obviously. Many many women, if you you know go to a go to a uh, you know some type of a craft show and sell things there. Guess what you've just done? You've actually worked outside of the home. So is it is it eliminating any activity out? I don't believe so. But I'll let you uh, let you wrestle with that with your congregation. And then to be submissive uh, submission points to her husband ultimately, uh, that, that a wife lives in a reverent sort of a way towards her husband, and that is very clear in her conduct. And then the younger men, I love this, Paul is singular in this, tell them to be self-controlled. So what do young men lack the most in? Uh, self-control. And let me try to illustrate this as best that I can. I was, I was thinking should I be personal? Uh, and my my wife is here, so I can't be too personal because I'll get in trouble. But there was an incident that happened when I was a seminary student. I was working. Actually, at one point, I was working two jobs. Uh, had two young kids at home. And my wife is an RN. Now, if you know anything about RNs, they work like an hour and can make more than a Christian school teacher in like a year. You know, it's it's crazy. So in my... In my uh, Lack of maturity, Uh, Carrie had come home at one point and said, uh, you need to find, you need to find another job because I'm done. So there was conflict. I don't know if you've ever had conflict in your marriage, but, you know, obviously my perspective, her perspective, and they weren't jiving, all right, not even, not even close at that moment. So, as a good husband, uh, having left the home probably in, in a little bit more of anger than what I should have, came up here to the church because I worked here, and it's a good, good uh, thing to come and be busy after a little bit of a tiff. And lo and behold, Pastor Dorn was actually in his office. Now, Pastor Dorn was my youth pastor. We have a very long-standing relationship. Uh, he knew me back when I was just a knuckleheaded junior hire, and uh, and helped disciple me back then. So I went to his door, knocked on his door. It's about seven, eight o'clock at night. The light was on, so I knew he was there. Came to the door, and I was like, "Hey, I just gotta throw something by ya." And uh, so, so he, "All right, what's up?" And I said, "Well, you know, Carrie and I had this conversation." And she said, you need to go find a job because, and my argument was I'm seminary and I have to be spiritual and I'm going to go preach to people, so of course I need to... And he's like, well, I hate to break it to you, Jer, but I'm on your wife's side on this one. You need to go find another job if you're not making enough here or go find a different job. And I was like, that's really not what I was looking for uh, in in my conversation with you. I was looking for more of a fatherly... uh, you know, advice like uh, just stick it out, you know, just go back and apologize and it'll get better. No, he was pretty practical and he was guiding me towards, uh, listen, bud, you need some self-control in this. You need more temperance. You're, you're out of whack, you know, in, in your perspectives. So I went and found another job and uh, worked a, a couple of jobs. Started to get my, my uh, thoughts more uh, in line with scripture and what uh, God had called me to do. But that should be normative in the body. And oftentimes it's not. Now, for my example, obviously I had a long standing relationship, but that really is the point. Because I had a long standing relationship, I could go to somebody and they could speak truth into my life that I needed to hear. And you talk about a, a correction, a course correction at that point, and not just. I, I could work, you know, four jobs. That wasn't the point. The point was my my idea that needed to be corrected. I was not self controlled. I was not temperate in my my uh, you know overall thing, and I wasn't allowing my wife to have her primary work be in the home in, in a in a very real sense. So a correction changed there based upon uh, based upon somebody speaking truth into my life that I needed to hear. So Titus, the number five there. Paul exhorts Titus to guard his life and example, while he continually teaches and exhorts this normal pattern of church life. So I, I put there the pattern of people in the church discipling or mentoring young couples often requires a challenge to the existing church culture. Okay, uh, Inner City is a is an older church. It's been around, been in existence for a number of years, and one of the challenges that we have uniquely and if you have ever come to, I'm I'm sure Riley is, you're newer to inner city, and to know how many family connections there are. I mean, everybody is connected to everybody and that it it poses challenges because, you know, you get married and to a certain extent, you've got this persona that you want to be able to, you know, have everybody know, I'm, I'm such and such as uh, son. I'm such and such as daughter. We, we have our act together type of a thing. So that's a challenge um, because of the family connections, of course. But also, uh, you know, some, some church cultures uh, are not inclined to be that deep. They're just not. You know, you see people on a Sunday morning, hey, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Fine. Thank you. And then you keep on walking. It's nice. It's a nice intro, but uh, definitely not very deep. I know that there's uh, many churches have efforts to, to increase that level of, of depth, but it's not actually that easy with churches that are already settled. And, and I told the couples, uh, my first round uh, had five couples that I, that I taught and I uh, was teaching, and, and my wife was in there as well because we, uh, we've actually participated in the marriage mentoring process uh, with another couple. But I told them we need to be thinking differently. That that when this, you know, when we actually start this ministry with our church, um, it it might not, you know, in a sense go well. Some people might not want to be a part of it because of, of embarrassment, or no, we're 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 actually good, we're fine. And I said, you know, we need to work hard at developing these deeper relationships, uh, so that we can change that. This is a, a call, really, for pastors to challenge mature saints. Now, some have challenges, and I understand that. Some smaller churches would love to have five couples to be able to do this. They would love that. <clears throat> Here at Inner City, uh, I, tried to try to, I tried to think through who would I have wanted to mentor my wife and I, or now that my kids are starting to get married, I've got two that are married, Who would I have wanted to to mentor them if they were actually here? And I came up with a list, and I sent that to uh, the pastoral staff members for okay on that. And everybody was okay. The interesting thing was, and I hope I'm not getting ahead of myself in the notes, but Pastor Doran actually gave me two names of couples that had divorce in their background. I would have never thought about that. Like, you know, not not saying unclean or anything like that, but, uh, you know, I was like, I never really thought, you know, having divorced people actually be a part of the marriage mentoring, but because of the prevalence of divorce and remarriage in the the church, it's actually wisdom. Now, it was interesting to me, the people that I did ask uh, to be a part of the marriage mentoring uh, training and so forth, they said no because they were divorced, and my answer back to them uh, was, not, not to the other one, but to the first one that I asked, was well, actually that's why I asked you to be a part of it, because I knew that you're coming from a different perspective, and you have, have much to add uh, to people that perhaps have divorce in their background to be able to help them. So it's looking for older people that can do, it says here, uh, a number of different things, that they can teach with authority that older couples should be taught correct doctrine so that they can in turn communicate to young couples the word of God with boldness and clarity. So that's important that you have mature individuals uh, that you have trained, that pastors have trained, that people have spent time with so that they can teach others, that they can teach by example, that they do have an example. Obviously, you wouldn't want a mentor to be somebody who has a bad example in the, in the congregation for whatever reason. Uh, that they would teach with empathy. That Titus's charge to the to encourage and train assumes that older couples seek first to understand a young couple's situation, and then seek to help with humility and compassion. Uh, you, you you choose uh, mentors based upon do they have a humble heart, a servant's heart that can actually try to relate to other people, and then teach with with in, endurance. Uh, older couples should view the relationship with young couples as a marathon and not a sprint. And I've, I've told the couples that I've trained uh, that this is a long-term relationship just because I've asked you to meet with them 10 to 12 times in a year that you've established a relationship that's different. And I've, I've seen some of the fruit of that, for which I'm very excited. Um, I've seen older couples uh, with similar interest to younger couples Uh, One couple in our church loves to bike. And the younger couple actually loved to bike as well. And getting them together was just providence. I didn't know that. I didn't know that there were similar interests. Just the Lord directed that. And the interactions that I see between them now is much more of a a friendship. A, you know, how are things going? You know, a little bit deeper than just, hey, how you doing on a Sunday? You know, Uh, and that's exciting. Because as people are just pouring into other people, that they, that they endure through the training process and the helping process and the developing of a relationship, it's very important. So we've been able to um, train, at this point, nine couples in our church that have actually, um, I'm thinking, is it nine? Yeah, I think nine couples so far. I've got a few others that we're uh, starting another training session and trained nine different younger couples. And I'm hoping that in the course of time, we can get more and, and train more couples. I did have to think a little bit larger. Uh, when Pastor Dorn and I talked, I was thinking with a marriage mentoring, everything that I was seeing, it was usually a couple within the first year of marriage that you're trying to guide and kind of start off on the, on the right foot. And he challenged me to think a little bit larger than that. He's like, why, why a year? You know, And Pastor was giving me some kickback. Why only a year? And I said, well, that's usually what I find for marriage mentoring. And he's like, well, what about struggling marriages? Can we mentor them? What about, what about marriages that uh, get into a, another phase, like with kids? And I tell you what, <clears throat> between the two, it wasn't until kids started to come that the priorities started to get messed up, at least in, in my marriage. So um, we, we tried to think bigger So that uh, the process is the pastoral staff, usually guided, I'll I'll give suggestions uh, to Jacob. Sometimes other pastoral staff will give suggestions to to Jacob about couples that they think could really benefit from this. Not necessarily, you know, and and I think Jacob's email to them to try to recruit them into the, the process is not, we don't think you have a bad marriage. We don't know of anything, uh, you know, along the lines that, that is precipitating this. We just think that it would be good for you because of your situation in life. So, what is what is marriage mentoring? As we uh, work through this, you have to define marriage correctly. Have you noticed that in our day? It's really, really important to define marriage. So, on our website, we actually offer a marriage uh, definition that I think is uh, applicable to today. So marriage is defined as the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. It is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church and to provide for the husband and wife, the framework for intimate companionship, the channel of sexual expression according to biblical standards, and the means for procreation of the human race. So I know that a lot of churches have had to spend time in, in changing things in their definitions to cover themselves really in a day that doesn't understand marriage even being between a man and a woman uh, and the, the expression of, you know, of, of uh, intimacy, sexual expression, and so forth. Now that word mentor uh, is from the Greek word meno, which simply means to abide or to remain. The mentoring context frequently involves an intimate, committed, continuous, developmental, and reciprocal relationship. This relationship includes a reciprocal availability where unforced influence and helpfulness takes place. I won't just read the whole quote. I'll let you do that. But the idea is that mentoring is a process in which there is a developed relationship between one person and another person for the sake of helping that, that person to grow. And from what I've found, uh, it's a reciprocal even in the sense that I don't know if too many of the mentors that I have trained that haven't said to me in one way or another, this has been a huge help to our marriage. Okay? Because when you start getting intentional and you start looking through what the scriptures say about issues, you start thinking, oh boy, you know, <laughs> that's, that's us. And I have had, I've, I have had some kickback actually from some of the the mentors, uh, I asked them, "So, what are your reservations before we even get started? What are your reservations?" The most typical is, "Well, we we still struggle in our marriage." And I said, "Well, join the club. You know, I've got a punch card that goes way too far. <laughs> you know, it's silly. You messed up again on that one. Um, if it was perfection, then there would be no such thing as any level of mentoring in the church, any discipleship, because we'd be so focused on ourselves and." Our own issues. It's not sinless perfection. It is definitely not hypocritical to know that you've had an issue uh, and have repented from that issue to help somebody who is actually having that same issue, because you have a unique ability uh, to help them biblically. Because you know what it's like to repent. You know what Scripture convicted you of your sin. And you could guide them that way. It would be hypocritical to get into a marriage mentoring relationship and, you know, we're actually, we haven't fought, you know, in 25 years or that type of a thing. Um, Because obviously, if you say that, you've got a very defective definition of fight. Extremely defective. So something is desperately wrong. And probably not somebody that you would want to mentor young couples anyway. Uh, if they don't have a, a humility of heart. But the, the marriage mentoring, I've uh, just written down there what uh, is my idea of marriage mentoring. This is not my definition uh, uniquely. This is uh, uh, other collaborations on this. But marriage mentoring is a spiritually mature, experienced, and well-trained couple building a supportive relationship with a younger couple to help them grow in their marriage through sharing wisdom and experience according to biblical teaching. So that would be a a basic framework of a marriage mentoring opportunity that you would have. It's very biblical. Uh, I've given examples there. Obviously, obviously you have Jethro telling Moses, you know, man, you're killing yourself here. You need help. Okay, and walked alongside of Moses. Moses and Joshua, Eli and Samuel, and the list goes on. You've got a life touching another life. You've got somebody who is willing to say at times uh, something that somebody else needs to hear that they're not seeing. And this is in keeping with what we've heard throughout the whole conference, and that is those one another passages really do look like something in the church, the opportunity to be able to minister. So how does a mentor function? They do function in that life-touching-another-life model. Paul said and told the church at Corinth, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. There's nothing uniquely proud about that unless you're not actually following Christ. Okay, If you're not, then obviously you need to rethink things. But here's my my idea. Uh, With that, the functionality of marriage mentoring. Mentors assist young couples by sharing lessons gleaned through life experiences, encouraging them to obey scripture, and giving loving exhortations to work through problems biblically. So if I were to make a succinct statement as to what I want them to do and function as, uh, that's what it would look like. So mentors should live that visibly godly life, and it should be noticed. And for me to, it was, I hate to even admit this, so hopefully a pastor doesn't find out. Have you ever noticed some of your best thinking is uh, on a Sunday morning? You know, something (laughs) I'll just, you know, a verse, you know, pastor will say something, (laughs) you're like, my wife gets, you know, I'm taking notes sometimes, and I'm taking other notes on the side. And it hit me on a Sunday morning, I was in the midst of, of the whole project and getting ready for it. and I just asked myself the question, who in our congregation do we have that I, I actually would have confidence in? And I got to about 15 names. I could have gotten even longer. and I praised the Lord for that that you know there were 15 couples in our church that I would have full confidence with uh, to be able to mentor me or my children. And uh, it's not, it's not a, uh, a sinless life. You know, Paul does say, and I, I use this verse to help some of the mentors when they, they say, man, I, you know, there's still sin, you know, that we, that we wrestle with. Paul says this to Timothy. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a, a pure heart. So sinless perfection is not uh, a prerequisite for you know, marriage mentoring or helping disciple marriages. It definitely is uh, a focus, and that is we've struggled. We've, we've had to deal with different issues. And the ability to be able to say, we've dealt with this, and this is how we've actually wrestled through it biblically and give that to a, a young couple. So how did I pick topics with the marriage mentoring? Um, what I did, and in the process, I, I gave, I think, about 13 different topics and gave it to three Sunday school classes to be able to uh, tell, kind of rate them. This is a part of my project, so I gave them a list of, of those things. And I said, "If you were to be in a marriage mentoring program, what things would be your number one all the way down you know from from most important to least important and I basically came up with about four or five topics, things like communication, finances came up, uh, we had things like conflict and roles and responsibilities and things like that. So what I had to do, I knew that I didn't have the opportunity to teach on every single topic that could come up. That's impossible to be able to anticipate. And then the subtle nuances of those things. For example, the, I was shocked at our church knowing all the, the connections with, uh, with family. Uh, actually, family like in-laws and things like that was quite low, which shocked me. I thought, man, it would be pretty pretty high. Maybe they didn't want to admit you know, that, that they were high. I, I don't know. But it's interesting because every, every situation is so different that I knew that I couldn't hit every topic and be exhaustive. So Pastor, when we talked through the process, he said what you need to offer the mentors is a tool belt. You need to offer them, uh, and, and what, what I did in the curriculum is actually uh, set up the foundation of, of marriage mentoring, and then we went through different topics like uh, communication and conflict. We did walk through finances. We did walk through how to, how to mentor somebody through roles and responsibilities. So those were topics that I had chosen. But what I did is I tried to develop a tool belt so that the, the couples, depending on the situation, depending on what they found, would have the resources to be able to deal with it instead of just, okay, here's the verses for finances. Just read these to them and, and you know move on. Or here's Dave Ramsey's book. Just walk through, through that particular thing. So I tried to think through what would be the most helpful for the mentors in each different situation that they would find themselves. And this is the framework that I came up with. Again, this is not unique of me. This is a collaboration of many different thoughts. But the first thing is increase biblical knowledge. And at times, um, because we need to think bigger than, okay, I'm going to be mentoring somebody who grew up in the church, went through the Christian school. You might be mentoring somebody who got saved a year ago and just got married. And they are clueless as to what the Bible says about many different topics. So, you know, if if you were to say, you know, the Bible has something to say about your finances, they'd be like, really? What, What does it say? You know, where, where could I find something like that? So as a mentor, you could be in the role of just pointing out, these are some verses that you really need to wrestle with. I know issues, you know, for example, I don't, I don't know that uh, I, could, I could tackle every single issue, but the younger couples, they need stability, Some of the, and and we did too, so I'm not throwing them under the bus and like we we had it made. But this newer generation, they do think a lot differently. And sometimes they just need some biblical stability. They need to be brought back to the scriptures. Thus says the Lord, you know, rather than just, well, I heard and I thought and those types of of things. So a younger couple needs to be taken right to the word because it is sufficient. It will help their marriage. Um, secondly, the increased practical knowledge. Well, what happens when issues are not uniquely biblical? You can't find the verse, but when, they, when the younger couple springs this on you, you think, boy, that's not really that wise. Okay, how do you wrestle with that? You know, for example, sometimes in young marriages, and they're, they're wrestling with finances and things like that which is not untypical for a young marriage to struggle with. Okay, now we've got dual incomes and how do we manage our money cuz their priorities are different, they grew up in different circumstances. Well, one of the things is you find out for example that they don't have uh, they don't have a a joint account. Okay, they have separate checking accounts. And you say, well, you know, here in here in Leviticus, you know, Moses taught when you guys get your checking accounts Israelites, you need to no, that's, that's that's ridiculous because the Bible is silent on checking accounts, but is the Bible silent on being on one page financially? It's not silent on that and, and trying to challenge people practically. Uh, so what does this look like? What does this principle of why stewardship look like? And you would find out those things uh, and different issues that they're facing by cultivating the suitable skill. I was just in... Uh, uh, Deepak's session on, you know, listening and questioning because sometimes it's going to take time to learn. Now, one of the things that I do for the mentors is when we ask young couples to, to sign on for this, we do give them a questionnaire and we ask them, so what do you want or what do you envision a, a marriage mentoring, uh, uh, you know, ministry to look like for you and we give them options. Uh, you could do topics. You know, Here are four different topics to discuss throughout the year. Uh, you could do a book study. I know that we've uh, directed people toward uh, books like Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. It's a, it's a good resource to talk through. Uh, Dave Harvey's book, When Sinners Say I Do, would be an excellent resource. I do have the, the mentors actually read this book. I don't know if you've heard of Rob Green's Tying the Knot. So the reason that we have uh, the mentors read that, there's a section at the end just uniquely for mentors. Now, it's designed more for pre, uh, pre-counseling, pre for marriage, uh, you know. So it's not a, a direct fit, but I, I thought to myself, what book should I have the mentors read so that they can understand what some of these young couples are reading so that they're at least on the same page when it comes to those things. So uh, sometimes the... The book studies, and they sign on for that to, to you know, okay, we're just going to walk through a book for a year together or for 10 months or whatever the case might be. And then some couples, I know the, the situation with my wife and I, is tried to go through some topics, but they, uh, the couple that we were um, mentoring actually were better with finances than what we were when we were first married. So we kind of went a different route a little bit and just, they just had a bunch of questions for us. So we would sit down with them for, periodically, uh, tried to get together with them. COVID messed everything up, uh, so you had to go virtual for a time. But a lot of it was just them asking us questions. So what did you guys do with this? And, and some of them had to do with in-laws, but other questions. And, and we were able to help them with that. Uh, so cultivating skill is, is kind of knowing what's going on in the situation uh, listening to them and the things that they desire to talk about or deal with. Proverbs fifteen fourteen says, The mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on folly. And then he, he who gives an answer before he hears it is a folly and shame to him. So, developing listening skills, some of that can be helped just by uh, giving them a questionnaire beforehand, but definitely you want to know how to help them. And then the, the questions that you ask. Uh, developing good questions Uh, because Proverbs 20 and verse 5 says the purposes of a a person's heart are deep waters, but the one who has insight draws them out. And that can be accomplished through good questioning as you go through. Uh, Cultivate problem solving. Help the mentors to, okay, here's here's the situation. And what I do in the training sessions is I give them case studies. Some of them I've made up. And some of them, uh, and sometimes the mentors, they'll read through a scenario that I actually know happened. So they come in the next week and they're like, did that, did that really happen? I was like, yeah, actually that did happen. I'll, I'll share the juicy one with you, all right? So this is years ago, and uh, we're all in seminary. A bunch of us guys were in seminary. Well, um, one of my friends that I actually worked with had told me a, a situation with a seminary student His wife had broken down in in the CVS parking lot, just down the road here, not not too far. So the wife called the house, and uh, the husband was actually at home, said, Hey, honey, I've, I've broken down. Can you come and get me? And his answer to her was, Yeah, I'm watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'll get there right after it's done. I can't make this stuff up. I'm not that smart, you know, because I would never think of doing something like that. Hang on, you know. So what do you tell the guy? You know, well, there is a DVR, right? Well, back then there wasn't. So, yeah, I'll, I'll get to you. So actually the, the young lady called my friend who I worked with and said, can you come and get me? It's dark and I'm here at CVS and my husband's watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know. So I gave that scenario. Uh, to the mentors and, and I mean I was like now guys if something like this comes up you can't like hit people you know cuz you like what are you stu- what are you doing you know i was like this this kind of stuff is is real stuff and and uh you know if you were to confront the guy potentially the guy would be like what it's like hey knucklehead you know what is like Um, I don't know, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up, you know, pure sacrifice. And I don't think it's too light to sacrifice Buffy the vampire slayer to go get your, your wife. But this one, this is pretty typical in marriage, I would say. Joe and Janice have been married for six months, and they had their first major fight last week. They asked for your advice. Yeah, yeah. They asked for your advice about what to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. The fight started when Joe came home from work and didn't compliment Janice on how clean the house was and how much time she had spent cooking a nice meal for him. Janice stormed out of the dining room, went to bed. Joe came in an hour later, apologized for not complimenting her, but Janice had already cried herself to sleep. The next morning, both of them apologized to each other, asked for God's forgiveness, and asked for each other's forgiveness. How would you deal with the situation? So what we do is... I go around the room, and what input? How would you approach this? What would you say? Is there any questions that you could ask? And what I want to try to do in each different uh, section that we cover is say, these are real-life scenarios that could happen, and how would you try to help them? What scriptures? What practical advice? How do you need to listen? What are you listening for? One of the things is, obviously, they did ask God's for forgiveness and each other's forgiveness, so you can encourage them, say that was the right thing to do. Encourage them along that line. Obviously, you're dealing with it God's way. Um, perhaps with each of us, something similar has happened, and we can actually speak truth into their life. Well, when that happened to us or something similar, this is what we did, and this is how we, we dealt with it. Uh, sharing life lessons, being wisely transparent, and emphasis on wisely. You don't want to just, well, this is how dumb we were, you know, and just lay it all out there. You want to be somewhat guarded. You want them to actually still think that you can speak truth into their life and not, boy, this, this couple's a train wreck. They've been married for how many years? So wisely transparent. You're, you're trying to uh, show them, you know, we have had struggles. We, we have wrestled with these things. And to be able to share those stories, it shows the young couple that they're not alone in their struggles. Sometimes they feel like that. Early on in marriage, you're like, man, nobody else seems to be struggling with finances, you know, and here we are. Man, other people tend to, when I hear them talk to each other, they talk so kindly and things like that, but we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You know, what what, uh, persona is actually visible and what is not visible. It shows a young couple the path for help and it magnifies God's grace and your growth in godliness. So when you're sharing a, a life story... Uh, you are to magnify god 's grace. This is what God helped us do, and bringing it back to not you know we figured this thing out. no we, we relied heavily on god 's grace to be able to deal with this. Encourage scriptural obedience so when you <clears throat> when you see different things, I know one of the cautions I, I give to the mentors and, and to myself and my wife as well is your goal is not to make their marriage look like yours as if you had the perfect marriage. But sometimes uh, sometimes we might think that, well, they're not doing it our way. It matters very little, the practice of your marriage. It, it matters everything to actually point them back to Scripture and have that be the, the catalyst for them to grow through the issues. So we model correct obedience to the couple, 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourselves examples of those who believe. And then you point them to others who have who have exemplified obedience, Hebrews six twelve. So that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit uh, the promises. Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember those who led you, who spoke the the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. So be be directing them back to the scriptures, not your own. You know, example, or this is how we did it, and this is the only way. Always, always have that tinge of humility and say, "This is what the scripture said." This is how we actually applied that in our marriage, and then confronting disobedience. And I've, I've, uh, I've tried to have some bolded statements there just for guidance. Uh, We confront clear violations of God's word. You have to be very careful in a relationship because this is not a. You don't want an adversarial toward, uh, type of relationship in mentoring. You want an encouragement type of life, touching another life type of a uh, relationship. So, but if there are clear violations, if you see a husband, you know, yell a profanity at his wife, I mean, as a Christian brother, you would want to confront that as a Christian brother, and perhaps uh, depending on the situation, because a, a good marriage mentoring interaction is going to have you in their home them in your home would be a good thing uh, to be able to observe those things and sometimes when people let their hair down in their own home they feel a lot freer to just kind of do their thing and i think that it is important a couple of different uh, principles here to keep in mind confront with meekness galatians 6 1 brethren If anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness or meekness, looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. So it needs to be confronted in the right way, not in a a punitive, I'm just going to show you just how sinful you actually were in that, but definitely considering yourself. Confront with empathy. Encourage one another day, day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then we confront with the purpose of restoration. So I've used the passage there from Matthew 18. I don't think um, I don't think that this is a church discipline. We see somebody sin, we have got to tell the pastor. They you know they yelled at each other. No, the the point is when you see somebody sin, you you confront it. You you say something, and if they respond, if they repent, you've won your brother. You, you've actually helped them to grow. Now it does come up from time to time. Couples will ask. Well, how do you know whether that's a mentoring thing or if this couple needs counseling? That's a tough, tough type of a, a, you know, wrestling match at times. And I say when they are consistently proving that they are crossing that line into sin, you know, perhaps they, they do need some marital counseling, and it would be you guys. I know for my counseling ministry, if there's an advocate that comes along with a person, That's golden. I tell you, if there's a, a loving couple that comes into counseling or, you know, I had a situation where I was counseling a man and an advocate from his church had come in to support him, to encourage him, to be with him, and that's, that's huge. I'm not saying that the mentoring couple have to come into the counseling session, but just knowing some ideas to be able to help them um, and encourage them toward that is really, really important for the body. And then pray with and for your couple. Uh, we, we understand that the framework of this has to be bathed in prayer. We are not powerful in and of ourselves to change anybody, to even in our correction at times, to confront too hard. Okay, We need God's help. Uh, Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. So we have to be careful. To, to rely on God's strength, to rely on His help, to pray with them at times, to teach a couple how to pray, a young couple that is uh, you know new in the faith. Some of them don't really know how to pray together, and you could be a catalyst in helping them to learn what to do and how to do that. So um, Titus two one through eight, uh, there are other passages in the scriptures. I, I do believe that this is a, a help to us to be able to say okay. Ma- marriage mentoring is a way to be able to help do this, implement this in the, in the church body, and uh, something to, to at least uh, be looking at and, and perhaps even uh, pondering.